This is SMQB's episode 20. We start off with a rare tribute to Coach K by a UNC fan. Cats and dogs living together. Unbelievable. Then we jump into the NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, uh, argue a little bit over LeBron's status and whether he gave it his all uh, in his playoff series, and then just do a general round the horn on some important topics, uh, talk a lot about Naomi Osaka and the privacy that athletes are entitled to or whether they should be out there in front of the media, uh, get an F1 update, and some USA soccer. Enjoy the pod. Have fun. Leave a review. Thanks for listening. SMQB's episode 20, the big 2-0, and I have one question for House. Is it true that Nick Foles turned down a trade back to the Eagles? <laughs> is, is that the you latest know, rumor? He had had too much winning here. He couldn't Ooh. take any more winning. Ooh. Wow. Quarterback destination turned down by Nicky Foles. <laughs> Yikes. Wow. How's everybody doing? What's going on? Good, good. It's good to be back. That took a little time off. Yeah. And also, Nace, it's good to have you back in full force. Back and focused. That's right. For our listeners who are not aware, uh, Nace was found not guilty in his trial. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Congrats. (laughs) We've got him back permanently. I heard it was a hung trial, hung verdict. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm out. (laughs) I'm free regardless. So. And Pope, uh, where are you? Uh, where are you recording from? So I'm in the Asheville, North Carolina regional airport uh, <laughs> on a on a fun travel day, guys. Gate E3. It is it is it is appropriate though that I am in North Carolina, is it not? It is. That's right. What do, what do we got to talk about North Carolina based? Well, I mean, I think the number one story, at least from my perspective in the last week, has been the announcement that Coach K is stepping down at the end of next year. Uh, obviously, sent shockwaves through the basketball um, nation. And, uh, you know, as a diehard Tar Heel, you know, I can't say that I hate to see him go, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting next year to see how he fares. Obviously, he'd like to run up the score as much as he can, uh, but we'll we'll see what happens, guys. It's uh, it's going to be a new day with Hubert Davis and John Shire as the new uh, new coaching head that we're going to see going head to head. How'd um, you like to replace him? Jeez. Yeah, no kidding. Step in those shoes, right? I no. mean, you guys know I love the stats, and so you start looking at Coach K. Here, here's a stat for you: When Coach K came to Durham and in 1980, this kid right here was in seventh grade in junior high in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I'm now going into my 29th year as a lawyer. That makes it <laughs> makes it pretty apparent how long he has been in Durham and the, uh, the time that he has had uh, to make an imprint on the college basketball world. Um, look, as a Carolina fan, there was nothing I liked more to do than, than hate coach K hate everything they stood for hate the Duke program all the national titles but you can't get away from the fact that that he is 
by far the greatest college basketball coach of all time. And it's not even really a debate from my perspective. Five mm. national championships, 12 final fours, 15 ACC championships, player of year after player of the year. He put Duke on the map as the team that you either loved or hated. It became kind of like the New York Yankees of college basketball. So um, it'll, it'll be different days in Durham, big time. So I'd love to hear from you guys. What do you all think? Wait, Rooster, we can't hear you. Just so you know. Rooster, we can't hear you all of a sudden. Are you plugged in? But while you're doing that, Rooster, my Pope, I have a question for you before we comment on this. Obviously, they play twice a year, Carolina and Duke, the home and home. So tell us what is going to be the treatment of Coach K in that final game that he coaches at the Dean Dome? Well, I will be there and I will tell you, but I think it's going to be it's going to be mixed. You know, the Carolina fans are pretty much good uh, uh, sports. And I think overall, you know, there may be uh, some scattered boos, but I think when Krzyzewski's announced as his final game uh, this year that I think he'll get, he'll get a standing O. I, I think pretty much everywhere he goes, people recognize what, what a great, you know, coach he has been and the imprint he's made on college basketball and, and heighten the Carolina Duke rivalry to, you know, most people would say the best rivalry in sports is Carolina Duke. They're eight miles away. Uh, and so we'll, we'll miss him. We really will. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. yeah. You're back. Yeah. Hey, you're back on. Yeah. Hello. Hey, hello. Hello. Uh, Brian, I was going to say, do you really think it is a surprise though? I mean, they Duke missed the um, NCAAs for the first time since 1995 this year. And Coach K's got all the same issues that Coach Williams did with with this portal and all that stuff. Right. Um, I think he's. I think it's time to go. You know, he's going to be seventy five years old in February. It's just time to go. Well, look. I think. I think K uh, uh, embraced the one and dones uh, more so than Roy did. Uh, he built his program around you know one and dones with Zion and Bagley and those guys. So. Um, I'm not sure the game has escaped him as much as it has Roy. I just think that Kay's been around so long, he realized that maybe family over over, uh, over his profession at some point, and he's 75, like you said, so it's time for him to slow down, and I think he acknowledges that. But you're right. I think the game probably not the same as he would want going forward. Mm-hmm. Either. I think this guy, John Shire, is going to do well. He's been with him since 2014 and actually has been doing all the recruiting of lately. In fact, has recruited this guy named Paulo Banchero, who may turn out to be a number one pick whenever yep. he decides to come out. I, so here's another thing to talk about, guys, is that, you know, Carolina did not have a transition in place that was public. Now, that being said, Roy had made his uh, wishes well-known before he stepped down that he wanted Hubert Davis to take his spot. But Duke didn't want to – but there was a lot of – you know, and on this pod, we even talked about potential head coaches, you know, how deep would they go as far as their search, what schools would they go to. Clearly, Duke didn't want the parlor game of would they stay within the family or not. They wanted a smooth transition, and that's why they have a coach in waiting in Shire. So I, I think they handled it pretty well. Has so, anyone heard whether uh, Coach K is going to stay on the U.S. national team? He should. I don't know. I don't but, know. But, but, but I, have, I have two thoughts. One, I think John Wooden might have something to say about the greatest college basketball coach of all time thing. But besides that <laughs> – 
Can, can, he's not around anymore. Can I just right? throw out there that the competition was nearly the same when I, he was I, running, I the, running the score up? Regardless, but I don't know. I didn't think this was a big story. I mean, to me, this was kind of like meh. I, you know, no it, was, it was time. Wow. It wasn't. No I don't know. I just don't. I don't. I don't see it's it still as the end of story. a living legend. He he is a living legend. You know, there are very few coaches that actually put fans in the stands. There are very few coaches that it's almost shocking when they lose a game. There are very few coaches that built that you hate just because of their record of winning. I mean, the people, people hate Bill Belichick and people hate Nick Saban mostly because all they ever do is win. And I think most of the hate for Mike Krzyzewski was because he won, you know, Mike Jensen wrote this great article for Philadelphia Inquirer directly at that point about, why Coach K is better than John Wooden. And one of the arguments is that Wooden done it, Wooden did it basically in one consecutive stretch where he had Walton and Lou Alcindor running the show and staying the whole time. Shashevsky won national titles in three different decades and was a runner up in a fourth decade. That is crazy oh. uh, amount of success over all that time. Not to mention the gold medals with USA Basketball. And just, I think, you know, I think a lot of coaches over time, look, it's not to say he's the first great college basketball coach, of course, Bobby Knight and John Wooden. But I think a lot of coaches and the money they've earned will thank Coach K for a long time because he made, he really made college basketball coaches a superstar. And I don't, I'm not trying to take anything away from him. I mean, I'm just... I don't know. It, it, maybe it's the age. Maybe it's how long. It didn't shock me to hear that that the end of that right. tenure was coming. And quite, and maybe when it, when we do, I mean, he is going to coach another year. So maybe when we get closer to the end of the year, it'll be more meaningful to me personally. But the announcing it, I don't know. It just didn't strike me as as shocking or or that big of a deal. Yeah, between honestly. Roy Williams announcing and Duke not not even making the NCAA's. Yeah. It's not it's not surprising, but it is still it is still a big deal to, to men's college basketball. And both, I, I, I think that, you know, uh, assuming the pod survives that come. Uh, what what did you just say? What? Hmm? what? <laughs> what? Edit that out. Excuse me. <laughs> well, I mean, we're on our way to 100, but uh, we'll have to look back at, at his career and he'll have another year behind him. And who knows, maybe you know, some more records to add to the pile. But I think for right now, you know, this assessment is pretty accurate. I think the competition that Kay went through from 1980 to 2021-22 was much stiffer than Wooden or any of the other people who were who were up in his atmosphere. Um, so that's why I give him the nod. And it, it is a sea change for college basketball with Carolina and Duke turning over their longtime head coaches. That's all I have to say. Yeah. yeah you know right. what I really liked was I mean, didn't he kind of come in and change the face of the Olympic team? I mean, wasn't it a it was kind of a train wreck, right? Before so he, was he came an, in. He was an assistant on the dream team in nineteen ninety two. And then they had a horrible period. And then he came in and, and took over and changed the culture entirely. And we started winning gold medals again. But that just showed you how he could go from I mean, that's always a big problem with a lot of these coaches or college coaches. They don't know how to coach pros. And he but he could do it both very easily. I always thing, thought that was really cool. The thing I'll always remember about Coach K is as a child, I was a big 
fan of Yale football because I could drive t- 10 minutes and go watch the games. Those and must Cal- have been exciting. Calvin Hill, when <laughs> Calvin Hill was a star there, it was exciting. And when Calvin Hill sent his son to Duke, he said, you know what? Who else would you want guiding your, your son than Coach K? And, and that was that was true. I mean, back then, before one and done, he was he he pretty much was these the father to these guys and has remained friends with all of them and continues to mentor them well into the, their adult lives. I mean, he's he's a good guy, he really is. I mean, I know it's easy to hate Duke, but he is a good guy. So, it was good. Poe's a good to have a villain, and uh, we'll have to keep, we'll have to create another one. Yeah, that's Pope, right. Yeah. You said at the end of this year's past. Uh, NCAA tournament when we had no Kentucky and we had no North Carolina and we had no Duke that this next year post COVID would be return of the blue bloods. Do you still think that will be the case in this uh, new era for UNC and the final year with coach K? I do. I mean, I I think Carolina, you know, they got Armando Baycott back. I think they're going to be a tough team, um, you know, going in and out of the top 10, probably. I think Duke, uh, you know, with their recruiting class and the people coming back, they're going to, they're going to, you know, look good. And obviously Calipari's not going to, uh, suffer long. Uh, so once this COVID thing's over, once the fans are back in the stands, once college basketball is back to normal, I do anticipate Carolina Duke and Kentucky having good years. Keep well, an but, eye on this Duke recruit, Paolo Benchero. He's supposed to be the real deal. Yeah. To Rooster's point too, I, I think what you'll see with Duke is a lot of the alums, the NBA guys will rally around that program this year there's going to be a lot of um, support and or pressure on that team to deliver this season. I, I think you might see uh, a heightened intensity uh, if you can, if you can have that from a Duke team, because they always play at a pretty high, high intensity level anyway, but there's going to be a lot, a lot of desire to see that, to send him out on a high note this year. Oh yeah. So, so it's going to be similar to when the bulls made their last run in 1998, the media show that follows Duke basketball all over the country. And every time Kay goes to an opposing court and it's his final game there and they, they fed him and all that, it, it is going to be really interesting and fascinating to see how these kids respond. Yeah. 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 Well, Pope's got to run and catch a plane, so let's move on to the NBA. Yeah, let's uh, let's let's take it go from college to the NBA. Pope, what do you got? Well, so you know how uh, the TNT crew likes to uh, say goodbye to teams at the in the playoff time when they lose uh, by telling them that they've uh, gone fishing. So this is a gone fishing episode uh, for my Dallas Mavs. Um, Tough loss. What what a what a strange series, guys the home team finally won one game and it was game seven. The Mavs had their chance over and over again to put them away. Couldn't do it. Uh, but, you know, we did see once again, you know, the, the arrival of the next generation uh, goat. And that is potentially Luka Doncic. The stats he put up in the series were just tremendous over 35 points a game. You know, he had, he had uh, eight boards, 10 assists, almost had averaged a triple double and he had no support. Next next closest guy averaged 17 points, and then the $30 million bust, Christoph Porzingis averaged 13 points and five boards. Pathetic. I'm so. surprised he could score 13 points standing as still as he did. 
Well, yeah, you you didn't see him on the court much, did you? Well, he so, also never moved when he was out there. But, you know, kudos to the Clips, uh, Kawhi and Paul George, yeah. and, and then the supporting cast in Game 7. They they all stepped up, Morris and uh, Kennard and, Re- and Reggie Jackson. So, um, you know, I don't know if the Clips are going to be, be able to get past the Jazz. I doubt it. I think the Jazz are a more complete team. You know, this this offseason, though, for the Mavs is going to be interesting because there's a lot of questions. There's some doubting about Rick Carlisle's competence now. You know, it's been 10 years since they've won a playoff series. Uh, but Cuban is strong behind him. Um, we just have to get a better supporting cast for Luka. Uh, another stat on, on my way out, another stat for Luka. In Game 7, there's never been a player who scored 45 points and had 14 assists until one Luka Doncic yesterday. So. Wow. I well, I, I blame Mavs. myself. I blame myself. I mean, this is what I get for rooting for a Dallas team. I mean, I can't stand <laughs> Kawhi Leonard, and 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 so what do I do? I I bite my gnash my teeth, and I go and root for the Dallas team. And you ruined it, Pope. You guys ruined it. That's it. I'll never root for another fucking Dallas team again. I'm done with that. It was a failed experiment. <laughs> I'll focus you know, on the Sixers. Well, you Pope, know, I think there. I hope you're. I think you're going to see another first out of Luca. He's going to be the first guy who turns down his max extension and says, "I'm out of here." Oh, wow! No. Okay. Because wow. yes, Whoa. yes. Okay. No. Wow. Because listen, listen. They owe Porzingis thirty-one point six million again next year, and they can't. Yeah. They cannot include a first-round draft pick in any trade proposals because. There's a rule that says you can't be two years in a row without a first round pick. They owe this year's pick and the 2023 pick to the Knicks. So how are they going to package a deal to change their team? And and Luca knows this. Yeah, but, I think he could make oh, a ton more but, money if he turns down the max extension, plays another go. year, and then goes to New York. You yeah. can noodle. You can noodle on that for your three and a half hour flight home. Yeah. Go to New York, bro. Go to New York. Feel good. <laughs> Wow. I'm going to leave you guys on this. You realize that because he'll be first team all NBA or second team all NBA, he gets an automatic kicker to get the max extension this summer. He signs for 200 million. It's already a done deal. You guys can debate that all you want, but not leaving. I'm out. Good luck. All right. All right. right. Welcome to the Knicks, bro. You know, (laughs) Bison, I, I, I hear you about Kawhi. Uh, and obviously I have hatred for him too, because he stuck a dagger through the Sixers when he was on the Raptors. But I got to tell you, after they lost game five to Dallas and he had that little tirade in the locker room where he made Paul George cry. Uh, I hate Paul George too. That was an awesome story. Paul George is a, you know what? Kawhi did put the team on his back for the final two games. The guy's a winner. He is a leader. I don't like him either, but you know, he he takes teams to victory, and there there's still going to be a very very tough out out there. Um, I didn't say he wasn't a good player. I just can't yeah. stand the motherfucker. Apparently, the rest of the team basically said to the coach, "Just call his number every time because we're all nervous, and he never gets nervous, and he'll carry us to victory." True. I mean, what a bunch of wusses! Losers. So, who who do the Clippers play next? Um, they play uh, the Utah. Jazz. Utah, Utah, right? Yeah. Yep. Who are so good. Like, again, I mean, people just don't talk about teams like Phoenix and Utah because they're not normally. When we started talking about this NBA 
a postseason. You know, Rooster was saying it's going to be interesting this year because you you we're not going to have teams like the Bulls and the Celtics and the Lakers. You know, they're way down mm-hmm. the list. We're going to start paying attention to some other teams. People are going to start learning about yeah. the Jazz and the Phoenix Suns and maybe even the Atlanta the Hawks. Hawks and, yeah. And yeah. I mean, nothing right. says Utah like Jazz. Right. That, no kidding. That's ridiculous <laughs> that they still have that name. That's going to be our next segment, dumbest team nicknames. The, the, I think the reason that the, the, they hold on to that name is they turn around and say to the league, well, why do the Lakers still get to keep their Minneapolis yeah. name, right? Yeah, but, right. But yeah. who on the who on the Jazz can guard Kawhi? Um, that's, that's an issue, I think. They well, I, I, I mean, I don't know that you slide Gobert, but you've got a yeah. two – You've got a two, three-time All Defensive Player of the Year. You know, you've got you've got a very good defensive team and a very good defensive player in Gobert. I don't think defense yeah. is going to be their issue. Kawhi's going to get his, right? I mean, and that's that's you shut down everybody else. You shut down the rest of the team, and you don't have to worry about Leonard. He's not going to score 135 a game. But listen, you guys, uh, Rooster and Bison, for the first time in a long time, were relevant. Mm-hmm during the NBA season and in the NBA playoffs. And I think you probably both expected you might make an exit, but I'm curious. I think our fans are curious as they've heard about your excitement about the wizards and the Knicks now kind of your, your debrief on your season and your future. I mean, what's your takes here? Go ahead, Bison. Well, you know, I felt like we were, we were sort of a fake playoff team. I mean, the, the run that they went on, was fun to watch Russ sort of will that team into the playoffs down the stretch was pretty remarkable. I mean, the guy is, is just his intensity level. It's really hard to match that by anybody in the NBA right now, but honestly, I mean, the team was exposed for what it is. Um, They're, they're really far away from being an actual contender. I mean, it's one thing to get into the playoffs as the eighth seed, it's another thing to actually have a chance. And, and I just think the Wizards are still pretty far. I mean, Hachimura played well. That was probably the most exciting thing. I mean, Beal is Beal's Beal, right? He's a he's an unbelievable scorer. I don't think he was 100% healthy in that series. And Hachimura played, played well. If he can figure out how to keep that going, it'll be great. But other than that, I, I, just, I just think they're far, far away from being a legit contender. Yeah, that's right. I think I think the like I said last time, the the playoffs require another gear. And the Knicks played in sixth gear all season and that's why they won a bunch of games because there were a lot of teams out there that tried to coast throughout the season and the Knicks were coming at them defensively and offensively every game. And you know, as a fan, I'm damn proud of the season they had, but they didn't have the talent to kick it into the next gear for the playoffs. Whereas the Hawks did, I was going to jokingly say, look, if the Knicks can't get beat the Hawks, then the Sixers are in trouble. But the truth of the matter is the Sixers have the talent. Um, and the Knicks are, you know, the Knicks are a superstar away from being there. They, they need for Julius Randall to be a supporting star. And they need a superstar. They need Luka Doncic or someone like that. But you're going to get it. You're going to get it. My, my kids who are NBA crazy said the, the huge success about the Knicks season mm-hmm. is now it's a destination. It's a free yeah. agent destination. That's yeah. right. That's right. 
And, and for good reason, like I was saying on the Luca segment, you know, the, 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 the marketing money a superstar can make in New York or LA yeah. is huge. Yeah. It's just huge. And so, you know, it's easier to give up a max contract to go to one of those two destinations. You don't give them up a max contract to go to Utah. That's for right. damn sure. But you might do it to New York or LA. If, especially if winning is on the horizon. Milk, talk to us a little bit about the Tampa Bay Raptors. By the way, sorry, <laughs> sorry to interrupt, interrupt, but Dame Lillard is my other hope. Yeah. Oh. Did wow. the Wizards and Knicks? How many? Did they each just win one game in the playoffs? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let me let yeah. me say let me say something about these Atlanta Hawks. Uh, now having lost game one in a pretty exciting fashion when we went from being down. You're going to come back yesterday, by the way. We all, we almost pulled it off. It was unbelievable. Uh, they are a real team. Yep. Uh, I don't think the Knicks have anything to be ashamed about whatsoever. Um, Bogdanovich is a flat out sniper. Capella can absolutely play center. Lou will can come off the bench. And of course, Trey young, my God, I mean, there are some, if you don't double team him, he can hit it from anywhere, far, far beyond the arc. He can drive the lane. He can make it from any position on the floor. And if you do double team him, the way they move the ball to find the open player to knock it down right. is pretty damn impressive. And the lob passing is amazing. Incredible. The only thing I'll say about Trey Young, and I now understand a little bit more why the Madison Square Garden fans got so violently angry at him. The <laughs> NBA has got to do something about this, like leaning into fouls where there is no foul. He right. has mastered the art of it. Mm-hmm. He isn't fouled on half the plays where he, a foul is called. And the he's not the only one that does it. He's just the best at it. The NBA has got to do something about it. House, what do you think about this? I, I was watching that game and I was thinking if – if the Sixers come back and win this game, this young team is going to crumble. They're just going to have the wind out of their sails. But the fact that they actually held on and won that game gives me concern that the Sixers are in trouble. And as you know, after what happened to the Knicks, I was hoping the Sixers would sweep the Hawks. So I'm a little worried. I'm slightly worried, but the Sixers had 12 turnovers in the first quarter. They couldn't hit the side of a barn from beyond the arc. The At one point in the second quarter, the Hawks were shooting 78%. Like all those trends are not going to continue. We're not going to turn the ball over that much. Danny Green will find the net. Seth Curry will improve. Um, they The Hawks will not shoot that well. And actually, I think there's a, another side of that coin, which is the fourth quarter told the real story of when the Sixers put it into all gears and the Hawks are the inexperienced team that they are. We see the true matchup between those teams. The Sixers won't be caught sleeping again in another quarter. I still think they pull this out in six or seven games, but the Hawks are going to be a test now and into the future. What's now, the story with Embiid's knee? He seems fine. Yeah, I he seems, he seems, he's scored 39 points. 39 points? Yeah. Yeah. He seems fine. But I'll tell you, speaking of injuries – it's going to be really interesting now. Yes, the Nets won with Harden playing only 43 seconds, but the rest of an entire series, when you go from three superstars down to two, now, yes, they have other really nice players 
Joe Harris and Spencer Dinwiddie and Lopez. And the Nets are definitely stacked, but I think missing Harden is going to make that series a lot more even. And I think the Bucks definitely are going to have a shot. This is going to be interesting. He's definitely missing game two, and I think he's going to miss more than that. I think it's a serious hamstring issue. I, I think the Nets need Harden against the Sixers, but not necessarily against the Bucks. Um, right. I, I, for the life, I mean, even though the uh, Giannis's numbers, Giannis's numbers were good, watching the game, he was hanging out a lot. He was playing a lot of Porzingis kind of offense until he decided, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to drive the lane, get down low. But he's, he's perfectly content to hang out at the top of the three point line. And I, I just think there's something about his playoff mentality that is lacking. I don't know what I didn't see that the, the first game uh, with the nets, but man, I watched him in a couple games against Miami. And I mean, he was hands down the best player on the court every time every time he was on the court, it was just crazy. So I don't, I don't know. Like I said, I missed the game, uh, the first game of this series, but I, if he plays the way he did against Miami, um, I think you'll, you'll change your view on that. Well, I think he's the best player on the court when he wants to be. Yeah. Well, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Well, we want to come back and talk a little bit more NBA in a, in a minute, but before we do that, um, Milk, do you want to give us an NHL playoff update? I would love to. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you guys have been following it closely. Not. Especially after <laughs> last week, you couldn't even figure out the bracket. We actually had it right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's, just that, it's just that when I was challenged it, by people who didn't know the bracket. Exactly. Is, we apologize. I know it's selfish for me because I have a team – and some skin in the game, but it's hockey is literally one of the more exciting three hours of your life. I mean, it is nonstop. Hopefully Natalie won't listen to this episode. (laughs) (laughs) That's only five minutes. No, he didn't say 30 seconds. He said three hours. hours. (laughs) So we've got, we've got two brackets. One of them is starting to, it's, it's starting to get exciting here. One of them is, is starting to, you know, we've got Tampa, the Lightning with a 3-1 series lead on Carolina, going back to Carolina tomorrow. A lot of Carolina fans on this call. A lot yeah. of Carolina fans on here. Yeah. They're really worried, all of our fans. They're all former Whalers fans. I think that, I think they're going to lose that game. Um, and then Who, the Lightning to, are going to lose? Yeah, I think they're going to okay. lose. And then I think they're going to come back to Tampa and win. But the real, the, the real and to our Canadian listener listeners, I'm sure they're going to agree with me. The Canadians is like the shocker of the entire playoffs. Le they're about to sweep the jets tonight. I think, yeah. um, by the way, Canadians are the last Canadian NHL team to win the Stanley cup. Why is that such a shocker? They're a four seed playing a three seed. They've, but they barely made it into the playoffs. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have made the playoffs in any other um, division that they were in. They're, they're not that good. They're very average, which I think they're going to run into some serious problems when they play the Lightning. I mean, they've caught fire though. But I wait think a minute, just, wait a minute. You've got the Lightning just automatically going past the Bruins. I'm, and 
No, they're getting well. Tampa will play Mont. See, you've got the bracket screwed up again. Tampa no, will play. No, Tampa. Tampa's playing Carolina. The winner of that game plays the winner of the Islanders Bruins. No. Yes, they do. I no. think I think Rooster just flipped himself from last weekend. I think we really got in his head. No, 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 no. I'm this looking is at I'm be, looking at the bracket. I'm this looking is gonna at the be bracket. the week we really find out how many fans that we have on this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm almost positive we play Montreal. Almost positive is like that uh, commercial. I'm 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 gonna say we're playing Montreal, but we'll we'll see. But the uh, other se- side of the bracket is really exciting. But the Boston Islanders series is as intense as it gets. Yeah, I mean, two yeah. huge fan. They hate each other too. Yeah, hate each other. They're tied. Big game tonight in Boston. Um, and then I had Colorado sort of running away with it, and then Vegas last night had this. They had to win. And they mm-hmm. killed them. Like uh, I think it was five to one. So that series is tied up. So you've got one that one side of the brackets kind of. Uh, I'd say both games, both series might be over. And then I have no idea who's coming out of these these if, two, two games. If if our huge listenership never turns on any hockey, at least turn on one of the Islanders Bruins games to watch Andrew Barzal. I just think he's the most exciting player in hockey. He's like, he's un, unguardable on the ice. He can, he just weaves through everything is puts the team on his back, scores game winners. It's two years in a row. Last year wasn't a fluke. Barzal is good. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. does appear that the winner of Tampa Carolina will play the winner of New York, Boston. Now, I don't know if they're reseeding or anything this year. It doesn't look like it to me. Hmm. But that does appear to be how the bracket is, according to the NHL website. Which I'm going to quote, I'm gonna quote to my wife to you guys right now and just say, <laughs> "Never question me again." <laughs> oh, I well, thought they, you were gonna. I thought you were gonna say douchebag. Is, is that her talking? <laughs> to well, you I'm pissed. No, that's her you. talking to me. Now I'm talking yeah. to you yeah, because two weeks in a row you've questioned my knowledge of the NHL bracket, and I've been correct. <laughs> we can't figure out the bracket on the show. But now I think I'm, we have a no, no. Don't say we, have, we, you. Yeah, I think we have an SMQB announcement. I think we've retired the SMQB NHL commissioner from Patrick Meichler. Yeah, and it's now Michael Rooster Fallon. Yes. Well, that scares the crap out of me because I did not want to have to play the winner of the Boston Islanders series next. I was that's, really that's where you're headed, big boy. Uh, well, let's 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 move on to to something that Patrick can agree on and and probably knows a little bit more <laughs> about. Um, LeBron James as the goat, right? Milk. Uh, I mean, this is your topic, right? Uh, it is. I'm always happy to talk about it. Can I just pour one out right now for Le- LeBron getting kicked out of the playoffs? I mean, I love it. I love it. So glad he's gone. He sucks. <laughs> Booster, go ahead. Yes. Look, look, he doesn't suck. I love LeBron for what he does off the court, and he's a great, great player. But on the court, in playoff time, he continues to demonstrate that he does not belong in the GOAT conversation. He, oh, um, my God. Uh, yes. He doesn't. Look, man, look at Game 5 of the Suns series. He basically checked out of that game. And we, and all the LeBron apologists among the announcers and, and commentators were like, oh, he's saving himself for when AD returns. 
So then AD returns in game six. The, his return doesn't go well. He goes out with an injury. Uh, the, he re-aggravates the groin. And what does LeBron do? He walks back down the court throughout the second half on defense. So on, for the second half, basically the Lakers were playing four men on defense while LeBron sauntered down the court pouting like Such a bitch. A baby. He is. And here's my question to you guys. Name one time that any of you ever saw Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, AI, Never. or Kobe wave the white flag like that in a playoff game. Never, Can ever. Any you think one Kobe of you would put up with that shit? Holy. Kobe would have slugged him. Oh, my God. Well, that, that wouldn't have been a good move for Kobe, but... <laughs> That's a different still issue. Done it. Here he we go with the defense of LeBron. Here we go. Look, like I said, I love the guy as a human being, but he he needs to get his head out of his ass. Hey, what's up with this Olympic stuff? What was that about? He's more worried about this Bugs Bunny movie that he's doing than the damn playoffs. Oh, he he was, I don't think that's true. I, he, I think this guy, I mean, look, what LeBron has done, I mean, how many years in the finals in a row? Was it eight years until he went to L.A. and was injured? I mean, something like like he's been in the finals 10 seasons or something. Isn't that right? Nine out of yes. 10, something crazy. I mean, it. look, it is true that he probably works at preserving his energy more than other players do. I mean, that, that's that's a true statement, and, and it's – and you can say that that's while well, he's walking down the court. But one of the things that has allowed him to play, I mean, don't forget, he came into the NBA at age 18. He has more minutes on him. Probably, I don't know, where is he in the all-time minutes played list? He's got to be right at the top. I mean, he is not young for his age. And the one of the ways he's been able to be one of the top five players still at this age uh, is because he takes care of his body. You know, um, Bill Simmons said, and, and I thought it was an interesting take about going into game five. He said that what he expected LeBron to do was sort of feel it out at the beginning, see what his teammates were going to be able to do without AD available. And if it looked like they just weren't going to step up and be there, that he would kind of, you know, throw it in for the night so that he could be ready for game six and seven with AD. Now, maybe that's a bad strategy. But you are talking about a guy who who physically has kind of mastered the way to keep his body healthy and keep him at, at a high, high level, even at his age. I mean, if he was 31 years old, you know, 28, something like that, you, you have a different argument. But I mean, he's he's an old NBA player based on the minutes that he had to still be at this level. I just think, you know, uh, you were talking about uh Russ and the way he put his team on his back and what a fierce warrior he was on the court. You know, I don't, I'm not a big fan of Russ, but one thing you'll never question about Russ is being a warrior. And he's pretty close to the same age as LeBron and he's an eight seed and he's fighting down 15, 20 points in game five. And he's scrapping for every last ball, every last shot that he can get. I don't know. You know, I just, I, LeBron is a great player. He will be one of the greatest of all time. And yes, this is only his first ever first round playoff loss, but I think the way he conducted himself, particularly in the series, walking off the court 
with five minutes to go in the game with your team down, you know, a couple dozen points or a dozen points. I don't know what that says to your teammates. I don't know what it says to your teammates and young players who are trying to get better and need an inspiration, like a kid like Kuzma, and you're walking up and down the court to play defense. And then you're joking around, boy, nothing ever pissed me off more after a team lost a critical game, like such as a playoff game, than when my own players were laughing oh, I after the that. game. When LeBron James says, are you going to play for the U.S. basketball in the Olympics? No, man. I'm going to be playing with the Toon Squad this summer. Like, I get it. We shouldn't judge everything on a little post-game locker room thing. But still, come on, man. You just got knocked out of the playoffs. I don't disagree with that, but I think that's generational. I mean, I I think you do have to look a little bit at the generation of athlete. Now, these guys are, and largely because of LeBron, they're doing – they have a lot more – going on than just basketball. Now, you, you don't have to like that. I'm not necessarily saying it's right, but there is a different mentality for a lot of these guys now. But but Bison, um, with the, the, the topic was whether he's the GOAT. And my premise was you can't be the GOAT and check out of the playoffs. And you know what? Even if we give him a pass on game five, which I don't think we should because I'll add Reggie Miller to that list. None of those guys would take a playoff game off. But then we move on to game six, and that's an elimination game. Preserving one's body is not top of the mind for the GOAT in that situation. No, I mean, listen, Jordan walked away from the NBA in his prime too, right? I mean, why did he do that? Probably because he was about to get uh, investigated for gambling, right? Yeah, because he's a criminal. No, look, I don't think Jordan's the goat when it comes to being a human being. I I don't even, I don't like Jordan. And I really do like LeBron. I'm just saying on the court, in the playoffs, there's no comparison. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's talk about another player walking away from from a big moment uh, in their sport. I think we have to talk about the uh, little uh, women's tennis. Yeah, it's it's not often that um, we talk about men's or women's tennis on this podcast, but a pretty serious issue came up that's dusted up quite the controversy and a lot of ink spilled on some newspapers and television shows over Naomi Osaka uh, pulling herself out of the French Open uh, for people who don't pay a lot of attention to women's tennis or Naomi Osaka, uh, she came on the scene in 2018 when Serena Williams was still peaking in her career and about to take down or on her way to taking down the all-time Grand Slam finals. And, you know, she's so – Serena so, so beloved uh, in New York at Flushing Meadows at, New York, uh, at the U.S. Open. And Osaka, this kind of upstart, uh, took her down. And um, it was very emotional for her because she really wasn't supported by the fans. You guys will remember back in the day when people like, you know, Martina Navratilova was beating Chris Everett and everybody wanted Chrissy Everett to win. And Martina was hated. I mean, Naomi Osaka was like on that side of the coin. And she has faced a lot of just kind of jeers and not very nice uh, press coverage. And this is an issue that's been coming up uh, in the NBA, um, really across all the sports, but 
player saying, you know, we're human beings. I get it that we're entertainers and I get you want us to win, but we're also human beings. And so Naomi Osaka posted a, um, a tweet before the French Open, which is one of the four majors, one of the Grand Slam tournaments. She posted a tweet which basically said, I won't be doing uh, press conferences during the French Open and that people have no regard for athletes' mental health, specifically the press. And I'm not going to subject myself to people that doubt me. And some people really took umbrage with that. Um, they, they, you know, she said, look, if, uh, if these organizations think they're going to do press uh, and say, I'm going to be fined while ignoring mental health, well, I'm just going to laugh because I hope uh, they, if they do find me, at least they'll give that the fine money to a, uh, or I'll, if I get fined, I'll give that fine money to a, uh, to an organization looking at mental health. And some people were saying like, who is this little brat that says that she's not going to do her press conferences like every other player? Um, and this comes with the territory when you're a top athlete, but others, and there started to be what I think is a very healthy dialogue to say that she was really speaking truth to a very oppressive system. And she was speaking her truth that she deals with severe uh, depression and anxiety. And, you know, she has painted a, an ugly portrait, which probably happens for a lot of superstars, particularly in individual sports like tennis, where she says she doesn't even sleep barely during Grand Slams. And frankly, you know, tennis has stopped being fun. And we know of athletes that stepped away from the game because it was just no longer fun. And so I think overall, it's good that she's opening up the conversation and she's providing an outlet for top athletes or any athlete at any level, whether it's in the, you know, high school or college or pros or the top of the game to say that, you know, depression and anxiety is a really serious issue. Um, she ultimately, after her first round win in the French Open, just pulled out of it and said that she just didn't want to be a distraction. And people were shocked by that. Basically, the top player in the world stepping away from getting the possibility of a Grand Slam. But that's just how real mental health can be as a debilitating factor for some athletes. So I'm kind of curious to hear what side of the coin you guys take on this. Um, does it come with the territory? And sorry, that's just what it is to be a star athlete. Or is this a healthy thing that she's speaking her truth or maybe some combination? I don't know. What, what's your guys take on this? No one wants to touch it with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> yeah. no, I, have a, I have a take, but I, I'm just trying to let somebody else talk. Milk, go ahead. No, I, I mean, I look, I think it's very easy to gang up on athletes, especially when they, I mean, especially in what they say to the media, how they interact with the media. But you're right, House. If, if she's really going through something that's a diagnosable you know, issue and she's fighting real depression. And I don't know if she's medicated or, or whatever, but when she pulled out after winning around, I mean, it's, it's obviously very real. If if it wasn't just a, I don't like interacting with the media and I'm being a baby, she would have stayed in it and tried to win the whole thing. So, I mean, she's probably, she's going through some, I, I mean, I, I feel bad for her and I hope she uses she gets better and, and uses the platform maybe to, to highlight the issue itself. 
and other players that are struggling through it. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm all for her, you know, getting better and certainly people who are talking crap about her should stop. It's pretty ridiculous. Right. You know, I always say that if you don't suffer with anxiety or depression, you have no idea what it's like. And I don't, fortunately I don't, but I very close to people who do. And it's just heartbreaking to see how it affects them. It's debilitating. And, and, you know, with, with, um, with um, Naomi Osaka, it wasn't just the, the win over, over uh, Serena that same year, she won a, a big tournament in California and her whole win was overshadowed by the fact that she's so painfully shy that she just choked on the acceptance speech when she got the trophy. And she, I mean, she she really could not even speak in public. Now, when she does, she's very interesting and gives really in-depth answers. And that's why fans sometimes have a hard time figuring this out. But when, when anxiety or depression overtakes you, there's just nothing you can do about it. And so I, I just don't think it's a, it's a joking matter. You don't, it's nothing to joke about a person's mental health. Um, and it's not like it's not like the sports press is the fourth estate in politics protecting the U.S. Constitution. It's a it's a freaking game, you know. Yep. And 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 how sad is it that a young twenty-something-year-old person says, um, you know, I need a little help. I need a little break. And people are mocking her. Pierce Morgan and all these other jackasses out there. I mean, come on, man, grow up and get a you get a life. Um, have a little compassion. That's my take on it. Yeah, I, I don't know if I, I don't really know too much about this particular story. I don't really know much about uh, Naomi Osaka. I mean, if she is dealing with anxiety and depression in, in the clinical sense, then, um, you know, like we all said, I, I hope she gets help. I hope people take it seriously, give her her space, let her let her take care because you know, we, we all know that these are illnesses, right? These are not complaints. This isn't being a baby. These are diagnosable illnesses. Um, and, and, but I hope that is what we're dealing with and not just somebody who didn't like how she was being treated and sort of took her ball and went home. I mean, I think that's the, the question that you have to have. And, and again, I, I don't know if she does have a diagnosable situation but quite honestly, I mean, because I do think I do think that talking to the media is part of the game. Right. I mean, the the amount of money these folks play for, the amount of money they earn, the endorsements they get, you know, part of what makes that possible is the exposure that the media gives. Right. I mean, that's why we see these coaches giving interviews on the court in between quarters in the NBA game, right? I mean, to me, I I watch that and I think that's just unbelievable to me that these coaches would be talking to the media, but it's clearly that the NBA wants to see that. But it's um, a huge waste of time. They never say anything interesting. That's right. But but for whatever reason, it's it's part of what drives the product. And so the the, the players, the athletes do have to be mindful that there is a product that is being sold to a consuming public and, and talking to the media is part of that. 
Um, now that's, I say that a little bit separate and apart from, from Naomi Osaka specifically, right? Cause I don't know enough about her individual situation to say that that's what's happening, that, that she just doesn't want to participate, um, in the situation. But, uh, I do think that for athletes in general, you know, interacting with the media is part of what, what makes them their paycheck and makes their salary for them. And I, and I think that they, you know, the media can be harsh. Uh, that's part of it. I hear you, but I'll just say as a fan, I think the reason we all do this, uh, podcast is because we're, we're super fans of sports. I doubt there's any one of the five of us who ever said, you know, I'm really bummed that I didn't get to hear that particular athlete in the press conference after the game. I just don't feel that way. I I don't, even when my team has a huge win or a huge loss, I'm not going to get more happy or more upset that I didn't get a post-game press conference. So I kind of agree with Rooster. This is really, this is just kind of a bullying press for the most part. I mean, there's a reason why Steve Carlton never, ever spoke to the press. There's a reason why Marshawn Lynch could not stand to speak to the press. There are many athletes. I mean, Kyrie cannot stand speaking to the press. And it's because a lot of them are just trying to ask that question that gives them the scoop, that gives them that little buzz. But that's true. But that's what generates. I mean, look, how many TV shows are dedicated to the NBA right now on ESPN, on, on, you know, shoot the TNT, whatever, the NBA channel, all these things. They've got to cover something, right? They got to cover something. And those deals, those TV deals are what's putting money in the athlete's pocket. So these guys want to have a $30 million a year salary. That doesn't all come from ticket and Jersey sales. That's coming from TV contracts. And a lot of those TV contracts are coming from the the people who are covering them. I mean, look, it's like anything in this country, big money has, is going to be surrounded by lots of pressure, sharp elbows, and, and that's what it is. And uh, again, I, I, I want to be really clear, though. I, I'm not suggesting that somebody who has depression or anxiety shouldn't be entitled to their space and support and, and the support of their sport, quite honestly. Um, you know, the, the tennis association ought to, ought to be rallying around her if, in fact, you know, that's the situation. But I do think that that putting aside the diagnosable medical conditions, um, you want to get the big paycheck, then you're going to have to take a little a little crap when it comes up in the press from time to time. And that doesn't that doesn't offend me. Yeah, but these people are in the minority. Maybe, you know, maybe a good example would be Ricky Williams, who had social mm. anxiety and, w- mm. and would give interviews with his helmet still on. Um, you know, maybe maybe you have a little compassion and just talk to somebody like that later, you know, in a in a different setting. Maybe you leave Kevin Love alone every now and then, because there are plenty of guys who at the end of every game are running towards the cameras. You know, yeah. you, right there, 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 there's no dearth of athletes who want to get their mugs in front of the camera and give an interview. It's like Chuck Schumer, for God's sakes. Um, so, <laughs> Wow. Crossover. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, some, some people just can't pass up a camera and a live mic. So they, there's going to be a good interview at, at the end of every game. And if there's one person out there saying, look, I've got some issues. I just need to be left alone for a little bit. What's the big deal with that? I don't get, well, I, I agree just, with that. 
I no, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. Come on, man. And with the local DBC news, Evan Kujay with a triumphant comeback. But tonight, don't call it a comeback. Well, I guess that brings us up to uh, to the punchable face of the week. I think, as always, sports never lets us down in this regard. You can always find one one mug. Yeah, punch, I right? think we have three or four we could pick <laughs> three, from this week. Every Rooster, day. Rooster, you got one for us? Yeah, you know, I'm sure I'm in the back of Milk's mind. He's saying, here we go again. But um, <laughs> Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So, <sighs> You guys know Marcus Stroman, the pitcher for the Mets. He wears a do-rag to protect his dreads from being damaged uh, when he puts his hat on. And uh, there was a game last Tuesday where the uh, D-backs announcer, Bob Brenly, who's been in the league forever. I mean, the guy played. He managed the D-backs to a World Series victory. He was an announcer for the Cubs. Now he's an announcer for the D-backs. He's been in Major League Baseball forever. You would think that he's been exposed to many different cultures, Latin culture, African-Americans. But no, he sees this do-rag and comments to his co-announcer, I'm pretty sure that's the same do-rag Tom Seaver used to wear when he pitched for the Mets. And the his, his co-announcer was obviously mortified by this stupid-ass racist comment. And just tried to, you know, change the subject. Um, Stroman brought it up in in a tweet, and and called him out for making a racist comment. And uh, Brenly comes out the next day and says, "Oh, it was a poor attempt at humor," and apologized and said he needed sensitivity training. And I have to tell you, well, a day later, Aramis uh, Ramirez from the White Sox said, hey, this same guy had a big, huge problem with all the Latin players on the White Sox. He criticized all of us. He never said a critical thing about any of the white players. He's a problem. And then Brenly says, well, in addition to sensitivity training, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take off, voluntarily take off until the next homestand. And, you know, I'm just getting tired of these people who think they can just lean on, oh, I'm, I'm going to go get some sensitivity training. I mean, if you're 67 years old and you have no sensitivity, it's probably too late, right? <laughs> you know, you're not going to get a week's worth of of a seminar and right. change change your dumbass racist views. And uh, you know, the fact that in 2021, an, uh, an announcer on national television thinks it's funny to make a joke about the appearance of an African American player, it's just I just think it's ridiculous. Those those dinosaurs need to go. Yeah, sad, sad. He punch, like, punch before they yeah before they go they need the to be punched face. in the face. Right, you need to yeah. punch them. It's a good boom. One. Anybody got another one? Is that it? Did we, already, did we already punch LeBron? Oh, <laughs> unbelievable! All right, well, there are some other quick stories we want to touch on. I think um, milk sayonara to anyone in your division that you you want to say uh happy trails to as, <laughs> oh, as the uh pti guys would say i would i would love to say give a, a very uh, large goodbye to julio jones i hope to never see you again have fun in the afc 
Um, <laughs> I won't miss you at all. Uh, but I will say the Titans. Wow. Oh, get ready. What a, what a great deal. Oh, oh, holy mackerel. Yeah, I know. I mean, can you, the play action pass with Henry? Now you've got, who's the other guy? AJ Brown. AJ Brown. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, built like they, a Mack truck. They, they are, they got really good, really fast there. I yep. mean, I'm making the assumption that Julio Jones is healthy and doesn't have long hamstring issues and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, they didn't even have to give up a first round pick. Yeah. Second round. Crazy. Round. What my does, my what youngest does, what, son is a Titans fan has been since he's a little boy and he is so psyched. Tighten up. Yeah. Well, and, and how about, uh, um, uh, Arthur Smith sending sending back a little thank you present to his old yeah, team, right? I guess. Yeah. Uh, I mean, let's not forget that, right? That's where he came it's from, true. Tennessee. So, the, yeah. the right. Falcons have to get a D on this trade, though. Come on, I mean, they they the Titans gave them a second round pick in 2022 and a fourth round in 2023 for Julio Jones, and they got Julio Jones in a six round pick. Yeah. When, yeah. when the Giants gave up OBJ in 2019 um, to Cleveland, they got in, in, in exchange Jabril Peppers, who's their Pro Bowl playing starting safety. I don't think he made the Pro Bowl, but he should have. Kevin Zietler, who was their starting offensive lineman last year, and a first rounder in 2019 and a third rounder in 2019, just for OBJ. Yeah. Did, did the whole thing feel like it happened really? I mean, maybe this has been brewing for a long time. I you know I think I, it's been brewing. I mean, it, that that was that whole thing. We never really talked about it yeah. in any great depth, but that was that whole thing where he basically got duped into announcing on air yeah. to uh, Shannon Sharp to Shannon Sharp that he that was, could he be was punchable going back. face right there. Right. That's just yeah, yeah, sleazy. Uh, yeah, that I didn't like that at all. TV reporting, right? But what there. this does mean is that your boy Kyle Pitts is going to be catching a whole lot more balls for the Atlanta Falcons uh, next absolutely. year. Well, he's at least going to have him thrown his way. That's for sure. Yeah. He's catching I mean, well, not well I think what it means. I think what it means is one of our uh, uh, SMQB announcers here was absolutely right that the damn. Falcons should have drafted the quarterback of the future and rebuilt the team because now what do they have? I mean, what good I, is what good is a great tight end with a washed up quarterback who maybe has a year left? I'm so I, sad that the Philadelphia Eagles have to play the Atlanta Falcons in Week One. Sad. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Let's go! Let's go! Well, they, got, they a, got serious problems. On a different note, it was uh, a fun week of F1 racing, but was it a good week? Specifically Listen, for Pirelli, wow. this is crazy. For people who have not turned this on yet, you got to watch this. Oh. this the stories are incredible. Pirelli tires uh, has a monopoly. I'm sure they've paid a lot for it to have every tire on every car, and you get an allotment of what you can drive. And depending on the temperature and the track, you basically are either going to put on a tire that's a hard tire, a medium tire, a soft tire. And depending on the conditions, one will go faster, one will last you longer, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole strategy game involved. Well, with probably about 15, 16 laps to go, uh, a guy that was running around fourth or fifth at the time, Lance Stroll for the Aston Martin team, 
everything seems like it's going fine. He had not yet gone in for a tire change. And all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, he crashes into the wall. Just He's pretty much nobody. on the way in to the pit. Yeah. He, there was nobody around him. There was nothing that could have caused an accident. And at first, there was maybe some suspicion that, w- that maybe there was some debris on the track. But what it became debris, pretty cl- debris as they like debris. to say, debris. His, his left tire punctured, and it wasn't because of debris on the track. Well, fast forward several laps until lap 49 of 51. And at this point, basically Pirelli who's on site has already saying, no, it had that, that issue with Lance Stroll wasn't our tire. Well, the leader of the race and the leader of the season after five races is this guy, Max Verstappen, who is Whose not face the best. is, is a punchable face. Yeah. yeah he like, right. literally, but, looks, he, but he also, he face. also had been leading this race for quite some time and was four laps away from winning. Just yes. coasting just to two. a win. Just I might first. say he was my pick. Yeah, just coasting, cruising to a win. Coasting to a win. And uh, you, what you don't want to do is piss this guy off because he might be the worst person ever with anger management problems. <laughs> he, he is coming down a straightaway. No turns, no cars, no nothing. And just out of nowhere, bang, his tire blows and he goes into the wall. And he had gone in for a tire change. And so basically – Two cars in the race totally took out the fortunes of same, two drivers. Same tire. Both tire, same both tire. left rear tire. Left rear tire. Yeah. And Wasn't he kicking that, the car after that? He yeah. kicked the tire. He literally <laughs> kicked awesome. the tire. <laughs> and oh. I'm positive that all of F1 would really like Pirelli tires to be the punchable face of the week. Yeah. Well, and yeah. then and then oh. and then they were covering up, you know, the Pirelli people were out there. When uh, Max's car was on the on the lift, putting tarps over it so that the cameras couldn't see that the thing had separated from the tread. That's well, of course, and, and you know, you got to remark that it's it's just dangerous, right? I mean, let alone this. I mean, he's on a straightaway with nobody around him. That's the point where that car is going as fast as yeah. possible, right? I mean, it's good point it's up to two hundred miles an hour when you just good lose point. complete control of the car. You're not going through a turn at 65 or 70 miles an hour. I mean, it's really dangerous for these guys. Their lives are at risk at that point. What kind of confidence can they have? I just want to tell Lance Stroll, the Aston Martin team, Max Verstappen, and the Red Bull team that our day jobs for the SMQBs were lawyers and were available if you'd like us to talk to you about Pirelli. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I assume that they were running Firestone at one point. That's how bad the tires were going out on wow. it. So. Wow. Wow. <laughs> All right. Guys, anything else in sports worth covering this week? Hola to the U.S. men's national team. They have uh, not won a big tournament and beaten Mexico since 2013. Incredible game last night. Down 2-1 in the 82nd minute. Weston McKenney ties it up. They go into extra time. Kristen Pulisic, the phenom who just won the Champions League for Chelsea. For Chelsea, the phenom from Hershey, Pennsylvania, makes a penalty kick. And then with two minutes to go in extra time, 
USA is called for a handball in the box. Oh no, Mexico is going to tie it up and a backup goalie for USA saves it. And the USA wins the CONCACAF Nations Cup. It was actually an awesome thing and a huge thing. All the stars were on the field last night. I know we've said things before about USA soccer and the Olympics, but they were all out last night playing great. I cannot wait for World Cup qualifying. I I have to extend my apologies for comments earlier this year. No, I think you lit a fire under him. Right. Yeah, I think, no, I think you lit a fire Milk. under him. Milk, good job. The SMQBs once again changing fortunes in sports. Fortunes. That's what we do. That's what we do. <laughs> we bring the heat and we change fortunes right, in baby. sports. I love it. All right, good show, everyone. Bison, congratulations right, on your big victory. That's yeah, right. great, great work, proud Congrats, of you. buddy. We're proud of you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. No jail time for you. Taking no names and kicking ass. ass. That's right. American right. dollars, bitches. American <laughs> dollars. <laughs> That's right. All right, guys. Have a good week. All right, boys. See ya. Take it easy, everyone.